Hey, I know you're here for the podcast, but give me 30 seconds to talk about a new service we just released for anyone working in a CPG brand. Finding the perfect co-packer or supplier can be a real pain. You spend hours Googling options, texting your colleagues, asking around different Slack groups, and still you get nothing. That's why we created Fiddle Connect Consulting, a done-for-you service that does all of the hard work of finding your dream co-packer or supplier. Best of all, it's 100% guaranteed and you get three free months of Fiddle Inventory Operations software included. Interested? Just go to lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. That's lp.fiddle.io forward slash FCC. Now, on with the episode. Welcome to the Physical Product Movement, a podcast by Fiddle. We share stories of the world's most ambitious and exciting physical product brands to help you capitalize on the monumental change in how, why, and where consumers buy. I'm your host, Ken Ojuka. Hey, this is Taylor Howe, the marketing manager at Fiddle. Today we have a bonus episode for you, Accounting 101 for CPG Brands. This was originally presented as a webinar, and because it was so well received, we wanted to make the audio available here on the podcast. Our guest is Andrew Nelson, a manager at Squire & Company, a forward-thinking CPA firm who has worked with thousands of brands. I asked him a wide range of questions important to CPG brands, like the business benefits of following good accounting practices, common mistakes to avoid, managing your books in-house versus hiring a third party, supply chain challenges from an accounting perspective, and tons more. Andrew is a wealth of knowledge and shares tons of useful insights. So without further ado, enjoy the episode. All right. Well, welcome everyone to the webinar today. The topic is accounting 101 for growing CPG brands, not just any CPG brand, but those of you that are growing, and hopefully that's all of you that are here today. Stoked to have an awesome guest with us, Andy Nelson from Squire. Tell us about Squire and tell us about yourself, and then we'll dig into the questions. Sure. Yeah, of course. So um, I work at uh, Squire and Company, um, which is just up the, excuse me, don't know what's going on with my throat, just up the hill from the Fiddle offices in Orem. We have a Salt Lake and an Orem office, and we are a regional CPA firm. So accountants first, um, CPA firm, uh, you know, focusing on three practice areas, advisory, tax, and audit. And everyone knows about tax and audit. That's what you think of when you think of a CPA firm. But we are, um, we kind of set ourselves apart because we emphasize in the advisory group, which is what I'm a part of. And uh, what we do in the advisory group is really... um, Anything from outsourced accounting to CFO um, services, uh, bookkeeping services, payroll services, all the way to technology um, solutions in the form of um, ERP. Um, so we were a partner with QuickBooks, Microsoft Dynamics, Microsoft Great Plains, and Oracle NetSuite, um, all of which Fiddle has ties to. So... Um, and specifically what, you know, to narrow down further, what I do is I am a CPA first, but I, I lead out on the integrations team. 
um, helping to automate um, accounting processes by integrating data between two systems, typically an accounting system and uh, a, a point of sale system or an e-commerce platform like Shopify, BigCommerce, uh, Amazon, et cetera. So that's a little bit about us and my story specifically, I have about 13 years of industry experience as a corporate controller and uh, decided to do things backwards and go to public accounting after getting industry experience. And so, um, you know, Fiddle, we've had some dialogue and they were a, they were a sponsor in an event we just had. And, uh, you know, I know Morgan very well and um, we, we like their product and uh, I'm here to answer any questions you have related to. Okay. Awesome. Well, thank you for taking the time to, uh, to be here. And, um, you know, what you talked about with your kind of skill set. obviously you've been in numbers for a long time, just kind of at varying different levels for different brands and in different functions. And you mentioned the aspect of making tech communicate, right. And like Shopify, big commerce, NetSuite, Microsoft, that kind of stuff. Um, that's one of the big things. That's that, that's one of the big problems that we're that we're solving at Fiddle, and just trying to make it easier for brands to be able to keep track of all the numbers that are important to their operations. And so, today's focus on accounting. Want to try to just keep it as general as possible, and um, but also keep it focused on you know things that help brands, things that help CPG brands. Um, and so, those of you that are um, attending, if you have questions at all, anything um, specific, like off the top of your head right now that you wanna ask, go ahead and throw that in the chat. Um, I'm gonna get us started with some questions, but as we talk, I'll refer to the chat and try to bring up those questions as we're talking. And um, if I don't get to them as we're talking, I'll definitely get to them at the end, but we wanna make sure that this is um, focused on the things that you wanna learn about most. So again, just go ahead and throw those questions right in the chat if you have those, but to kick, to kick things off. I'm going to start with the question that's kind of a softball question, but I'm just kind of curious where you take it. And that is, what are the business benefits of having good accounting practices? I was muted. Sorry. So that's, that's a, that's a million dollar question. That's a good softball <laughs> question, but um, here's what I would tell you. So um, you know, a lot of new up and coming or growth companies, um, will have financial stakeholders. Those could be internal or external. You have, you know, the board to worry about, you have investors to worry about, you have banks, you have all sorts of, um, you know, potentially compliance, um, if, if you're in a regulated industry. And so, you know, having clean accounting practices and the ability to provide support, real-time support um, accurately for your numbers to, you know, to corroborate what you're asserting with your financials is, is paramount. And actually, it seems counterintuitive, but the time spent on getting your books clean and in a, in a position where they're supportable, um, there may be an initial investment. But our experience has been that, you know, when there when there's time for an acquisition or a transaction accounting event, like, you know, you're you're selling or acquiring, um, having really clean books to hand over um, is is paramount. 
Um, that's, that's kind of a, a softball answer to a softball question, but that's, that should be the focus of, of the group, the accounting group or the finance team when generating statements is if I'm going to present a number to an external customer, I need to be able to support that number. That totally makes sense. And just speaking from personal experience before I joined Fiddle, um, I was a partner and kind of the main a marketer at a CPG brand um, and an online skincare brand. And we'd always just done our accounting and bookkeeping in Google spreadsheets, um, but realized quickly as we started to scale and add more channels that that was becoming a huge hassle. And like literally tax time would take me like three or four days because I was like pulling in all the credit card statements, exporting stuff from Shopify, pulling stuff in from PayPal, we had a few transactions in Venmo, right? Like trying to get it all into like these uh, uh, spreadsheets to do our taxes. So we finally decided to implement QuickBooks online. Um, this was probably about two years ago. And when I went to exit the business and um, transition it to my partners, having those clean books set up made it so much easier for us to know exactly what was happening in the business from a number standpoint. And that made that transition a lot easier um, and a lot more seamless because we knew what the business was worth and we're, we, we were all on the same page because the numbers were all coherent and they were all um, being tracked properly. All of our cogs, like all the, all, all of the numbers that you care to track when you're, when you're a CPG brand. And so if any of you have the ambition to eventually exit your business, and that could mean you sell it to somebody that you don't even know right now, or maybe you've got partners and you want to sell it to them at some point, if that's a goal that you have, having your numbers just hundred percent spot on as soon as possible is going to be one of the, one of the most effective and fastest ways to get to that point. So with that in mind, and obviously there's a lot of other reasons to make sure that your accounting is being done properly. Um, but let's talk about what are some of the most important, just kind of from a basic standpoint, you know, think of kind of smaller brands, like maybe have, um, you know, a couple, like, let's say like three to 20 employees. What are some of the accounting best practices that they should be focused on? Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, Taylor, what I would say first and foremost, you know, think of your low hanging fruit, right? Um, I would say, um, what is your cadence for a month end close? You know, what is the expectation for producing financials? Um, I've worked at, uh, I've worked for or with, you know, at Squire, many different um, companies that have different styles for this. But um, what I will say is the more successful um, companies uh, from a preparation and a financial health standpoint, um, more of them have like a regular cadence. So for example, I really like a business day close. So I'll say by the fifth business day, we will have draft financials prepared for management to review and give comments on. So that's, that's what I would say first and foremost, having a carrot to dangle in front of you to make sure that you're on a proper cadence to get those financials produced. I know it seems simple and straightforward, but that is one one tip I would suggest. From there, um, as you become no, more nuanced, um, policy is freedom, you know, uh, is what I would say. So, you know, from there, I would look into what is our collection policy? What's our cash pipeline in? How are we 
How are we ensuring good AR collectability? Are we running analytics on that? Are we incentivizing team members to collect on cash? Kind of creating these processes, these business processes for our core functions as a finance and accounting team. Um, purchasing policy. Who is a purchasing agent of the company? Who has the authority and privilege to sign a contract that obligates the company to a commitment for X number of, of months or years? Um, do we have approval thresholds? When we disperse payments, are there controls in place where um, you know there's a there's a approval for new vendors? There's dual approval and positive pay controls so that you make sure every penny you're sending out the door is going to who it's supposed to go to. Um, and then, you know, from there, we can talk about uh, more advanced things like how's your transactional accounting? Are you booking summary journal entries to record your sales? Or are you getting transactional detail into your accounting system so you can start to do some data mining and analytics on what am I selling? When am I selling it? And, um, you know, what's the, the market sensitivity to price and cost? That sort of thing. So, again, uh, we could we could talk for hours on this topic alone, but those are some ideas or some kind of good places to start when thinking about you know best practices for accounting. Okay, I love it. On the opposite side of the coin, what are some things, maybe some some of the areas where you see businesses dropping the ball most often, like some mistakes that brands are making when it comes to their accounting? Yeah, so with accounting. Um, you know, again, I would say policy or lack thereof, um, allowing, you know, allowing um, users of the accounting system, which can be a spreadsheet or it could be Oracle, you know, it goes all the way up the chain, but um, not having tight and finite controls around who can do what to the financials is generally where we see a lot of um, cleanup efforts that, you know, they would call someone like Squire to say, we have all these transactions. Um, there hasn't been oversight here. And employees are just booking things where, where it makes sense to get like a cash reconciliation done type thing. So not having formal policies. I know that's kind of a cop-out answer because I said having policies is a good thing to do. Not having them is where we see a lot of cleanup efforts. And then like long-term strategy in mind, you know, as you're um, sometimes we're victims of our own success as uh, growing businesses. And, you know, we're launching new products, we're going into new markets, and accounting can sometimes be an afterthought. You know, do we have a pricing model set up for how we're going to price the SKU? Um, do we have, do we have a supplier pipeline in, intact from a, some, from a supply chain standpoint? Do we have to manufacture that? What are the costs to do that contract manufacturing? Anticipating things like that and really just to put it bluntly, to not react to business decisions from an accounting group, but to anticipate and plan is, is um, reaction generally um, creates more problems down the road for the accounting group in the form of inaccurate financials or uh an adopted process that was adopted out of haste because, you know, we're launching uh, the UK market tomorrow. So we just got to get it done type thing. 
So when you have that time to plan, make banking relationships, anticipate, you know, like a, a SWOT analysis almost of threats and um, strengths, threats, weaknesses, opportunities, um, then really that's where you can shine. Um, if you can get to that level of thinking and, and plan ahead is what I would say. Okay, perfect. So I like a lot of what you just said, you know, about having policies and systems, or I guess having systems and then policies for those systems, um, having as many of your relationships with suppliers and co-packers and manufacturers kind of put in place and also being as proactive as possible, right? So that you're not reactive in situations where it can come down, where it can kind of hurt you and come around and bite you down the road. I think those are all really crucial things that you mentioned. Let's kind of shift gears and focus on um, kind of put your put yourself in the mindset of somebody who is maybe a solo operator of their business, it, or or it, it might be them as the founder, and maybe they have like a team that they that they outsource some stuff to, but they're but they're still managing like all of their books and that sort of thing. Um, where where would somebody like that start as far as? making sure like they're like, they're not ready to hand off the books yet, but they also want to make sure that they're implementing some of the systems that you're talking about. Are there like any resources that you would recommend, like maybe books or like blogs or podcasts that people follow where they can kind of start to create some of those systems on their own? Yeah. So this is going to sound like a shameless plug, uh, <laughs> but, um, but it's really not. Um, so uh Squire in the past has done uh, lunch and learns that are open to to really anyone, and we have we do a lot of industry related events where we talk about we have I'm a member of the um, e-commerce and manufacturing industry group within Squire where we we meet monthly um, as a group to talk about you know strengths weaknesses opportunities uh, threats etc that are specific to that industry group and. You know, I, I am happy to distribute any events that we have um, for for those types of things to Taylor. And sometimes it's as generic as 1099, you know, processing um, that it has nothing to do with the industry group per se. But we we host a lot of these events and, and that's a great place to start. Um, I would say I would say, um, you know, as far as books and online resources, uh, Put, putting me on the spot a little bit. I do have some that I can send over to Tyler or Taylor, sorry, but uh, nothing concrete that comes to mind that, you know, if you're looking for just like a general starter. Um, but what I would say is um, from a, from a standpoint, we see a lot of, um, you know, sole proprietors even that they have a great business idea they start their business and it's just them, like Taylor's saying. And this is where, you know, partnering with a professional services firm or just a bookkeeper for starters is a great, great solution because what that allows you to do is focus on your business and what you know the best. And, and uh, you know, present company excluded perhaps, but a lot of our business owners and clients will come to us and, um, you know, they, they will readily admit that they're not the, the authority on, you know, lease capitalization guidelines or whatever. And so having someone in your corner that you can call, if you're not ready to like fully transition to an external resource, 
we have lots of clients like that, but find, find a bookkeeper or, you know, a, a resource that can kind of have your back and advocate for you and help you to anticipate things, be, be having their ear to the ground of the industry and of the accounting profession to interpret your business and how adopting a policy or a specific, um, you know, accounting guideline can help your business. Um, that's what I would say. And what you'll find a lot of type, a lot of people will, will find uh, there's the stigma with a CPA firm or a professional resource like Squire that, you know, oh, well, that's going to cost, you know, tons of money, thousands and thousands of dollars. And the reality is having a firm like that, rather than hire, hiring a resource, having a, an external resource allows you to scale up and scale down in real time. You don't have to hire and fire. You can ask just a question. You can just say, I'm, I'm thinking about buying a new piece of equipment, a new, you know, a new die cut um, and conveyor belt system. And I could really use some advice on, you know, even negotiation. We can stand in with you for, or any resource can stand in with you for half an hour to an hour. And then we're out of your life again until you have another question. So I, I know that sounded like kind of a sales pitch. I didn't intend for it to sound like a sales pitch. But having a resource like that is invaluable, whether it's internal or external. For sure. No, for sure. And I, I think it's cool um, that you mentioned kind of the services that you guys offer and definitely um, share with me any like opportunities for lunch and learns and that kind of thing. I can pass them along to the group. Um, sure. And I will say that I think there's probably different um, levels, too, of having somebody help you with your taxes and finances. Like, again, going back to my time when I was running a CPG brand. Um, we, we, we outsourced our tax preparation, but the actual bookkeeping, um, I had um, an accounting firm who specialized in CPG brands actually trained me on how to do it. And as much as I hated doing it, because like QuickBooks, no matter, I feel like you just have to be in it a lot in order to love a software like that. And I would always have questions and that kind of thing, but it, but it really helped me understand the underlying numbers and kind of accounting practices that um, would... Uh, eventually help us scale the business more. And so I think there's kind of, it's, there's, there's probably a little bit of a spectrum, like the way that I asked you, if you're doing it all on your own, or if you're outsourcing, it makes it seem like you have to do all of one or the other, but there's kind of a spectrum where you can outsource part of it and do part of it. And kind of as your business grows and as your bandwidth decreases to be able to manage the stuff on your own, you can, you know, outsource and start to kind of partner with someone, you know, commensurately to where you're at on that uh, spectrum, if that makes sense. So um, obviously we're in business because we want to provide a great product to our customers, but we also want to generate profit and, you know, fund the lifestyle that we kind of envisioned for ourselves when we started a business. Um, and a big part of that is saving money on taxes and just being smart about how you, um, you know, spend your money throughout the year and then the things that you write off and don't write off and that kind of thing. What are maybe two or three um, things that you see people not doing? Or I'm trying to think of a good way to ask this. Like, what are some of the things that people should keep in mind um, in order to maximize their um, savings on taxes? Let's put it that way. Sure. Sure. Um, so for full disclosure, I am not, I am not a tax person. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
I I have my my wife do do my taxes and I kind of look them over. That's how much I I don't. It, we just don't get along. Let's put it that way. But <laughs> what I will tell you is, um, you know, capital expenditures uh, are big opportunities to save on tax. There's bonus depreciation to consider. Um, it, you know, if you're looking at if what I would call is if it's a material piece of equipment or a fixed asset like buildings, um, manufacturing equipment, uh, leasehold improvements, if you're renting a space, uh, you know, a, a large computer resource like a server or something like that, it's probably a good idea to get the advice of a tax professional that can comment on, um, you know, accelerated depreciation methods that allow you to um, mitigate your tax exposure. Um, there's also uh, research and development credit that, um, you know, I would say uh, as best you can, whoever is tracking your books, whether it's yourself or someone else, have them keep very close tabs on expenditures related to research and development um, because there is some research and development credit that you can utilize as well as meals and entertainment, tracking those very separately and tightly. Um, those are three kind of, you know, top of mind areas uh, that, that we think of when we talk about mitigating tax uh, exposure and tax planning. These are things to consider. Um, and then also from a sales tax compliance, um, making sure on the front end, when you're capturing sales tax, um, and sales use and excise tax, if applicable, you're capturing that accurately and you have a plan in place to remit that to the, the states that you have nexus in and, uh, a shameless plug Squire has a great tax compliance firm. We can even recommend some softwares that'll automate this for you, like an Avalara or a Sovos. So those are things that when I think about, when I go into an, as a controller, outsource controller, these are things that I talk to my clients about. Perfect. Okay. Um, so I think this next question will be really good for you since you're really heavily involved in kind of the tech side of things. Um, you know, most of us in business use spreadsheets as much as we can before we actually buy like a software that's meant for some for something, right? Because spreadsheets are just so flexible. We can do so many things with them. And I think there's always going to be a place for, for them. But because they're so flexible and because you can kind of do whatever you want with them and because most of us aren't experts in how to use them, um, when, it, when it comes to tracking our finances, they can, um, we, there's kind of a tipping point where they go from helping us to hurting us. Um, mm -hmm. And I'm curious to know, just kind of based on what you've seen, what are some of the signs or some of the things that um, brands should look for to know like, okay, maybe these spreadsheets aren't going to do the trick for the growth that I need to have. And it's time to look into different software. So without like talking about maybe the different types of software that they could look at, like what are just some of the signs that like you've kind of maxed out your, your, your spreadsheets and it's time to look into software. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Um, you know, first, first thing I would say is there are low cost options and there are, you know, high cost options. And we don't, we don't need to get into those right now, but um, I think businesses uh, would be very surprised at just how economical like a, like a QuickBooks online really is. And the, the, I would say in 
uh, 99% of cases, I'm going to go on record and say that spreadsheets are, are dangerous because they, there is no control around, um, you know, deleting a line and all of a sudden your net income's half of what it was yesterday and version control. There's not a lot of like audit trail or tracking who changed this number to this number, um, that sort of thing. So, um, you know, what I would say is first and foremost, find the time. And I'm going to go back to an earlier question that you asked Taylor, you know, what are, what are threats or what are, you know, pitfalls. Um, and I would say on a, on a super high level, it's um, the business as a whole, not emphasizing the need for good accounting. So, you know, because is it fun to spend money on a, a new piece of equipment that can help us produce goods faster. Yeah, that's fun. Is it fun to, to buy QuickBooks online at a, you know, the cost, the nominal cost that it is. No, it's not fun because it's like, well, that's accounting software. Why would we, why would we spend money on accounting software? But um, if, if we can show the value um, even, even if it's just a sole proprietor and we're showing ourselves um, if we can show the value in the ability to pivot and produce cash flow statements, income statements, and balance sheets to say, how are we doing real time? That's where a spreadsheet loses because um, unless you take the time to program basically an accounting system into a spreadsheet, the, the superior method is to, to go with an accounting software that does it for you. Gotcha. Okay. That's a really good answer um, and it makes a lot of sense. Last question that I want to ask before maybe we open it up to the audience um, just to kind of wrap things up. Um, and maybe I should have started with this because it's kind of, you know, something that's on all of our minds that are in the CPG industry. And that is all of the kind of backups and issues with the supply chain globally. Um, obviously, there's, there's a lot of implications for accounting and finances and inventory and from like a number standpoint and planning standpoint, there's a lot of different things that we could talk about when it comes to that. And I know that you guys just hosted an event that we were at a couple of weeks ago, and that was one of the main topics that everyone was talking about there. But um, what are some of your thoughts on, you know, just the current supply chain issues and kind of from your seat, how you're seeing it's affecting um, businesses from, a, you know, from a finance standpoint and how to navigate them? Sure. Yeah. Um, I know we're, uh, we're close to time here, so I'll try and be brief on this answer, but in short, it is a big problem that we're seeing and we're seeing um, brands that are reliant on import export type supply chain are starting to see that impact in their businesses. Um, so it's definitely not this, you know, hypothetical um it's, it's a real problem and it's out there. And so what we've found, I mean, what I will say is, again, this is a bigger topic for maybe another webinar, but um, one thing that we've seen um, clients do is to partner with their suppliers and to kind of establish this safety stock. And, you know, that's difficult to do sometimes when, um, we're defining a relationship or maybe we don't have the, the tenure in the industry to, to, you know, command that sort of agreement from our suppliers. So, we, you know, it might take some, some capital as like assurance to do prepayments and whatnot, but 
to work with your um, suppliers and really work with them as partners to, um, cause they're having the same issues, but, but to work with them to say, how can we collectively create a plan for supply chain? You know, it's like a disaster recovery plan in it. You know, if your server goes down, what do you do? Do you just wait till 